Tonight on Dateline, Bertha Jorkins took an Albanian holiday where she met up with an old friend. Did he put a spell on her? You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for murderinos. It could be done without Harry Potter, my lord. I have my reasons for using the boy, as I have already explained to you, and I will use no other. I have waited 13 years. A few more months will make no difference. One more murder, my faithful servant at Hogwarts. Harry Potter is as good as mine, Wormtail. It is decided there will be no more argument. I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And yo, we're back! Yes, we are. We took a longer hiatus than we expected, just slightly longer. It is now late May, what, May 28th that we are recording this. So, a week longer than we expected, but here we are. What did you do on the break? What did, I mean, I did basically the same thing as you did. My little brother graduated from college, so I went home to go to that. It was pretty fun. I started a new, well, I didn't start a new job, but I got settled in at a new job. I read The Republic. Yeah. I read. Inspired by our listener. Oh, yeah. Inspired by the whole thing about like the platonic idea Mm -hmm. of art. Yep. Aw. Wow. That's Beth. Beth. Yes, Beth. I read The Republic, uh, which maybe I should have done in college, but I didn't, so. I read (laughs) a bunch of poetry. I started another George Eliot novel, and I read some YA romance. So, in fact, I had a fairly varied reading excursion. I have to say, I did not really think about Harry Potter at all. Yeah, I didn't think about Harry Potter much either, but But I'm actually really psyched to be back. But now I'm thinking about it all the time again. (laughs) uh, Um, We do read other books, uh, for the record. It's true. There's a lot of Twitter types that anytime you make any kind of analogy with current events in Harry Potter, you get hashtag read another book. It's actually hashtag read another fucking book, which is rude because like we do. So get a grip. Do you Twitter trolls? I don't think so. You probably read fucking Charles Bukowski and that's it. So go fuck (laughs) yourselves. There's going to be cursing on this podcast, BT dubs. The Quiller podcast. We are now in book four which is going to be a marathon, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. If you're reading along, I hope you're caught up. I hope you also all told five or so friends to listen to The Quibbler. So now that we're back, we have plenty of new people. Hello, new people, if you exist. This week's chapters are The Riddle House, The Scar, and The Invitation. As I mentioned previously, you will hear, you have already heard, and you will continue to hear. You have heard. (laughs) cursing on this podcast you will also hear spoilers for this and future harry potter books you will also hear some adult themes this week's adult themes are small town gossip shell shock fad diets philatelists which the internet has told us is the fancy word for stamp collectors and our first on-stage death so yowza you want to tell us what happened this week yes i do This week's chapters open in the village of Little Hangleton, where 50 years ago there were some mysterious murders of three members of the Riddle family in their big old Riddle house. Technically, it's a mansion, but uh, the chapter is called 
the Brittle House. We meet the villagers. There's a lot of gossip. This gardener gets accused of the murder. This kind of old, crusty veteran of the Second World War named Frank. But they can't find anything apparently wrong with the three riddles who just wound up dead one evening. They look to be in perfect health, except they have a look of sheer terror on their faces. So shit is getting spooky in Little Hangleton, and everyone is discussing it at the pub, The Hanged Man. Fast forward to the 90s, and Frank Bryce is still living as the gardener on the grounds of the Riddle Mansion. He is weirdly obsessed with the place, even though most people don't hang around because it's got a weird, spooky feeling about it. Frank has never lived down the stigma of being accused of the Riddle murders. Teens and no goodniks like ride their bikes on the lawn that he tries to like keep up and throw rocks through the windows. The house is slowly decaying and getting super gothic and I, you know, basically we've got this whole horror set piece. So one night, Frank's stiff leg is bothering him. He gets up to fill his hot water bottle and just be very English in general. And he sees a flickering light at yonder mansion. Then he sings that song from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, you know, there's a light over at the Tom Riddle place. I don't know why I did that. I don't know that song. You I know, don't know which... over at the Frankenstein. They see the light in the the mansion, and I they're don't walking through the rain. That song. Wow, you are not up on your Rocky Horror. I haven't seen it in a long time. Well, this isn't a Rocky Horror; it's a Tom Riddle Horror. So anyway, uh, Frank goes to investigate, and he makes his way through the spooky ass house, and there he sees a door. You're doing the thing again where you tell every single, every single sentence know, of the chapters. Wow. You know, you think I'd be better at summarizing. Uh, anyway, Frank overhears some murder talk between a dude named Voldemort and Wormtail. They're discussing... He doesn't hear the word Voldemort. No, he just hears my lord. But he assumes they're speaking in code. He hears the word Quidditch. He's like, that's not a thing. They're discussing some plot to kill a dude named Harry Potter. They've already killed somebody named Bertha Jorkins. A snake slithers past. A giant snake. A not giant, like a yeah. regular a snake. A very large snake slithers past that apparently produces milk. Yeah, that's vile. That this guy eats who he's overhearing. A high cold voice. The snake tells the fucking asshole inside the uh, room that there's a muggle waiting outside. Frank doesn't know what a muggle is, but then Frank is like, I have to be brave. I literally fought Nazis. I'm gonna, like, deal with this. But then, well, we know it's Voldemort. Voldemort's like, Wormtail, like, bring that muggle in here. Where's your manners? I want to talk to him. Brings him in. Voldemort's like, did you hear everything, Muggle? And the Muggle's like, I'm going to call the police on your guys, even though I don't trust the criminal justice system because I was wrongly accused of murder 50 years ago. Then Voldemort of Vodakadavra's Frank. And what is it, 50 miles away? 200 miles away? Something. A number of miles away, a boy named Harry Potter wakes up 
with his scar hurting. So we're back to Harry Potter's perspective. It's 200 miles. It's 200 miles away. Little Hangleton is 200 miles away from Little Whinging. She's really into the, like, little town construction. Um, or England is England really is into, into the, really into the, the, that town I like that there's Little Hangleton and Greater Hangleton, so... They don't bother to name their suburbs. A lot of Hangleton. Yeah, they're just like... This, this is, is London, and that's tiny London. This is small, yeah, this is smaller London. My, mini London. Mini Hangleton. Harry wakes up, he's like, oh shit, my scar's hurting. Usually that means Voldemort's around. He couldn't be in Little Whinging, though, although I don't see why he would think that's impossible, because Voldemort has a straight-up history of going to suburbs and killing people. Anyway, Harry's like, I don't know who to tell about this. I have abandonment issues. It's his birthday. It's not his birthday. No, it's after his birthday, but he has a lot of cakes and presents, so that's nice. J.K. Rowling uses this opportunity to catch us up on the whole plot of books one through three, mostly book three. So, a lot of, uh, in previous episodes, Harry wonders if Dumbledore's on vacay. He, the next thing that actually happens yeah. is he writes a letter to Sirius. Oh, he writes a letter to Sirius. He's like, yo, my scar hurts. Please tell me what to do about this godfather. The next morning... Dudley's on a grapefruit diet. Actually, the whole family's on a grapefruit diet because Dudley got morbidly obese and his school was like, fix this. Uncle Vernon gets a letter. Uncle Vernon hates mail, but he especially hates mail from the Wizarding World. He gets a letter from Molly Weasley asking if Harry can go with the Weasleys to the Quidditch World Cup because... It's this year, it's in England. England hasn't hosted the Cup for 30 years, and Arthur Weasley got prime seats through work. Uncle Vernon is torn because he doesn't know, he, he like wants to get rid of Harry, but he also doesn't want Harry to be happy. You know, there's some Harry-Dursley tension, and eventually Vernon decides Harry can go. Harry goes back upstairs, super psyched because he's going to go watch some sports ball. He pries open the loose floorboard and just eats cake for breakfast. And that's where we are this week. So, back in action. Back in action. Um, yeah, we're going to have to work on what summarizing means. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Sometimes the temptation when the chapter is shorter is to just say everything that happens. I know. But um, people are reading along, so they, they don't know. need you to. Yeah, they know the... Sorry, I'm like chastising you on air. Isn't part of the charm the random details that we seize on? I don't know. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I think the summaries are getting too long. All right. I'm just going to throw that out there as um, on-the-fly feedback. Thanks. Anyway, um, that's where we are. You're right. So That's why people tune in for our married banter. I think people tune in because Harry Potter is great, and we're ancillary to that. <laughs> um, so this is a big shift from how the other books start. This is our first standalone oh what's the name of this kind of chapter there's like a word for it when it's like a, a totally different set of characters and um like a it's like a self-contained plot anyway it's the first time we get this in these books and it's dark as fuck <laughs> it's absolutely horrifying what do you think of this chapter does it work to bring you back into the story oh i love this chapter I think this is a really, really wonderful intro to this book. Because it 
marks a really distinctive tonal change. Um, and I think it tells us that this book, I mean, in this what, what this novel really does, and I think this sort of started in number three. We talked about the end of number three being sort of like the last comfortable or like reasonably happy ending yes. of, uh, of the series. So I think it fits in terms of the transition from the end of book three to the beginning of book four that it gets just pitch black right away. Right. She says she's sending a clear signal. This book is going to be different. And there's our first onstage death. Yes. Of Frank Bryce, the gardener. And it's really, it's effective because it's really sad when Frank dies. You only have, I mean, what is this chapter, like 15 pages? Mm-hmm. And it's like just this complete sad horror story. Frank gets his own arc and you're really identifying with Frank by the end. You do. Um, he's been a victim of injustice. You know he's had a hard life because of the references to his experiences in the war. He comes back not liking crowds or loud noises. Um, yeah, dude's got shell shock. Yeah. He's just like fucking PTSD'd out. Also, you realize Frank is a really good person because he has concern for Harry Potter, even though he's never met him. So, And he's really like duty bound. Like yes. he has this awful experience with the townspeople and the riddles were never nice to him to begin with. But he has this dedication to like seeing through his duty to this house. Although I wonder, is there some kind of weird magical like tie he has to it because of the impact of Tom Riddle, nay Voldemort? Because he no, is kind of obsessed. No, Voldemort, nay Tom Riddle. Voldemort, nay Tom Riddle, sorry. Um, no, I don't think so. I actually think this is just characterization. I think Frank is somebody who does what he says he'll do, kind of regardless right. of the circumstances. Maybe just, there's like just, a magical... I don't know, it's described as an obsession, you know? But and I think... kind of that trope of like the groundskeeper who gets like obsessed with the haunted yeah, castle. I think... I don't know. That's that's interesting. I think it's more like Frank being such a traumatized person who's had like such difficult experiences that the only thing that matters to him is like consistency right. and the predictability of his life. And there's just like he's like, how am I going to start over? Like, where am I going to go from here? And I guess if he doesn't like crowds, then no one's going to really come around. Uh no scary murder mansion well and it's like he can't really live comfortably among the villagers in little hangleton but he also can't really leave little hangleton because he's just like he's old he's lame i mean lame literally like his he has a bad leg he's traumatized and i just don't think that there's really anywhere for him to go so he sort of like decides to live out his days doing this sad but consistent work it's super sad because it's just like so pointless like I think there's something really symbolic about this Frank just constantly battling the decay and natural chaos of the Riddle House he can't really keep up with the flower beds like everything's real fucking dusty (laughs) Frank just is like constantly fighting against the like inevitability of shit getting out of control wow Right, though? Uh-huh, yeah. Which, I mean, is also the experience of a soldier. Like, he's just, like, basically, like, staving off chaos and destruction for his whole natural life. And then eventually, it was way bigger than he could even comprehend. Right. The source of the chaos, like, the rot. Right, exactly. No, and the source of the rot 
I mean, I guess that it, I would say that it, he has a magical connection and that the rot like takes hold of him too. Like the Riddle House is a bad, evil place and it spawned a, the worst of the dudes. Yeah. There's an interesting parallel with the beginning of book four and the beginning of book one because the first person we meet in Sorcerer's Stone is Vernon. So we're kind of in a weird way rebooting the series with this muggle perspective on going-ons in the wizarding world, where they can only sort of perceive it dimly until it arrives right on their doorstep, in Vernon's case, or in Frank's case, a uh, wand blast to the face. Well, but in both cases, it's right on their doorstep in that it yeah, shows up in their home. Yeah. Um, And it just, like, intrudes on a life spent trying really hard to stave off uncertainty and um magic essentially i don't know if frank that's no. necessarily the case with frank i think frank uncertainty just, yeah frank is just trying to get by and he has like a natural openness of spirit because he's immediately concerned for harry potter in my mind he's like really one of the first and only muggles we have a lot of sympathy for that's actually true. He is among the first sympathetic muggles. And it's interesting how, I don't know, you start this book. I think that's a really, really interesting point about it being essentially a reboot of this story. Yeah. And like a really dark reboot. It's like we've kind of come a layer down into the wizarding world. Right. Vernon's experiences in book one, he's doesn't realize, but he's witnessing the aftermath of the fall of Lord Voldemort. Right. And Frank is seeing the return of Lord Voldemort. Yeah, he's witnessing the very dawn of Voldemort's second coming. Yeah. Yeesh, which is really depressing because, like, it's just going to get so bad for everyone. Yeah, and I also think you get a sense of the way in which Voldemort's presence is dangerous to all beings. Yes. I mean, because it's like he... Well, we kind of figure out and we learn for sure later that Voldemort, of course, killed the Riddle family, which is his family. So he murdered his father and grandparents who lived in the Riddle house. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is Frank is the only person that sees Tom Riddle on the property. Right. There's that little detail of how Frank in the police station is insisting that he saw like kind of a creepy teen boy like lurking around and everyone's like no we didn't see that like it was the kooky old gardener just like got fed up and he's like no like there was somebody there I promise and so weirdly Frank is one of the main witnesses to young and then now like reborn Voldemort like he's one of few people that has seen Voldemort multiple Mm -hmm. times in multiple forms in these like super fleeting moments it's also an interesting lightning fast replay of a lot of the themes of prisoner of azkaban because frank is arrested for a crime he doesn't commit and uh learns to mistrust law enforcement basically right and is condemned in the public consciousness even after there's no evidence to convict him of the actual crime so, so yeah there's wizards, like yeah, serious so, parallels so too it's interesting because i you know rolling saying wizards and muggles are like the same basically Frank? cried several people. Never! Frank Bryce was the Riddle's gardener. He lived alone in a run-down cottage on the grounds of the Riddle House. 
Frank had come back from the war with a very stiff leg and a great dislike of crowds and loud noises, and had been working for the riddles ever since. There was a rush to buy the cook drinks and hear more details. Always thought he was odd, she told the eagerly listening villagers after her fourth sherry. Unfriendly like. I'm sure if I've offered him a cup of once, I've offered it a hundred times. Never wanted to mix, he didn't. Ah, no, said a woman at the bar. He had a hard war, Frank. He likes the quiet life. That's no reason to... Who else had a key to the back door, then? barked the cook. There's been a spare key hanging in the gardener's cottage far back as I can remember. Nobody forced the door last night. No broken windows. All Frank had to do was creep up to the big house while we was all sleeping. The villagers exchanged dark looks. I always thought he had a nasty look about him, right enough, grunted a man at the bar. War turned him funny, if you ask me, said the landlord. Well, and the other thing that is interesting here is this is the only time, so far as I can remember in the series, that we see the actual muggle events that this story most closely parallels, which is World War II. Right. So Frank is a veteran of the Muggles' great war and then ends up being an unwitting casualty of the Wizards' great war. So this fucking poor guy who becomes this kind of symbolic, interesting everyman is just like caught up in both of these conflicts in a way that I find really fascinating. And it is the first time that, and the only time that the Wizarding World War and the Muggle analog for that cross you know like fucking frank fought hitler yeah and then he gets murdered by voldemort frank's like god damn it he's like there are two of you i survived operation market garden for this yeah i fucking fought at the battle of the bulge and here i am in this like (laughs) creepy ass house getting murdered by wizard hitler (laughs) this is bullshit how is this happening fuck this um i feel incredible sadness about frank this that death well first of all like you said it's the first time we see anyone get murdered in this book in this series rather coral dies sort of off stage and also like he doesn't get murdered like he dies in a conflict with harry yeah and you know like harry's parents are killed but we only really see that scene in really really kind of like disparate flashbacks in book three Right? We haven't seen any other deaths. No. We Unless don't, I'm missing... We don't see Moaning Myrtle. Like, she explains what happened to her, but she's also a ghost, so we kind of, like, know the outcome of that one. Right. Well, death is kind of... It's always loomed over the series, but it hasn't really been, like, an in-your-face reality, which sort of parallels Harry growing up. Right. Because, you know, you're aware Right. And death then is all real. of a sudden, then, it's like... A tangible possibility. Well, the other thing that I think is interesting in book four from like an authorial perspective is after you get through book three, you would not be remiss in assuming that you were going to get through these books with a lot of near misses. Because like a lot of people are in mortal peril in the first three books, but you don't lose any main characters. And I feel like killing Frank in chapter one JK is like, I am coming for you bitches. You thought I wasn't going to kill anyone? Fucking watch me. 
Like, she's setting the expectation that, like, yeah, no, there will be fucking carnage in this series. She, yeah, she... Good beca- luck. She becomes a literary serial killer, basically, for the next uh, four books. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's <laughs> no, a war. So, yeah, nice widening of perspective. And, right. Uh, like you talked about in, I think, the last episode of book three, it's like the lens pulls out. Mm-hmm. And you see where Harry lies in this, like, wider and ever-widening conflict. R.I.P. Frank. Uh, yeah. Frank was a good elf. He's not an elf. Sorry. That was just a thing I said. And this is where the casual vacancy comes from. Oh my god, it's like, yeah, the villagers of Little Hangleton, she just like makes into this whole other novel. And people are like, I think you misunderstood what we liked about Harry Potter. (laughs) It wasn't the muggle villagers. An entire book all about Little Hangleton. Just about like Dot, like running her mouth at at the hanged man. I actually didn't read The Casual Vacancy, so maybe it's good. Well, we know it's a it's about, like... Like, small-town English lives. Yeah. Like, and people saying mean shit about each other, basically. So, it's not yeah. a murder mystery. Little Hankleton. No, somebody dies in it, doesn't they? Don't they? I don't know. See, we haven't well, read it. Well. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, because she We're writes... We're totally judging a book by its Robert, cover. Robert Galbraith, those are murder mysteries. Yeah. So, overall, like... She can do it. Like, she, you know, girl wears a lot of hats. I'm proud of her. So this first chapter is also where we really start to get to know the character of Voldemort. I, until now, we kind of get him at the end of Sorcerer's Stone. Only as like a weird like a vape. tumor on the back of Coral. Yeah, we meet young, we get to know Tom, young Tom Riddle fairly well through his diary. Although like a certain kind of Tom Riddle that's like, that well, Tom Riddle's like presenting yeah. to the finder of the diary. But now we finally we finally get to hang out with the big bad, Lord Voldemort. And um, he's an asshole? I don't know. What do you think about him? So we kind of get three and a half, four manifestations of Voldemort in the series. We get Tom Riddle, who isn't Voldemort yet, but has is just like archetypal, like, creepy kid (laughs) a kid that goes into the forest and like vivisects rabbits and you're like that guy's a fucking serial killer we get full power voldemort in two kind of timelines like we get harry's parents timeline voldemort and then later on voldemort returned to full power in harry's timeline and then we get this weird like interregnum voldemort where that kind you're right like kind of starts in book one where he's like a fucking turban tumor and then (laughs) but now i think this is the scariest one yeah because he's just this like wreck he's this like kind of wraith and you know what i really like in this chapter is frank sees him and he screams and screams and it's like he's he's experiencing this like abject terror right before he dies but she doesn't describe it right so you just have this sense of like this otherworldly horror and then you but you don't actually know what that is which is so effective because then your imagination can like do its worst it's like a Hieronymus Bosch painting or something yeah um just like a hellscape yeah Mm -hmm. so I this is my favorite Lord Voldemort I think We've talked about this before, but I think, like, cackling Bond villain Voldemort is right. really boring. Like it's a little, it's like, all right. But this is the one where, you know what I imagine him looking like? You know, in The Little Mermaid, those fucking uh, scary, like, eel worm thingies that are, like, like this the poor unfortunate souls that are, like, yeah, in yeah. her scary front yard? That's kind of what I picture. Just this, like, totally decrepit, wrecked, kind of, like, worm monster 
that has like scary red eyes and teeth and shit and like drinks snake milk. Like it's <laughs> horrifyingly gruesome. So this is my favorite Voldemort. I think this is the scariest one because also it's interesting how he's totally like physically wrecked, but he still has this like crazy magnetic power. Yeah. Like Pettigrew could kill him. Like the fact that he can keep Pettigrew loyal and like tied to him, the fact that he sort of enchants Frank to like not run, I feel like it's evidence of his immense power even as he's like, this totally I don't know if Peter can kill him he could like wreck him more but with the horcruxes okay you're right metaphysics he's like always gonna be this kind of like malevolent spirit but but... Peter could like Peter could abandon him Peter could hurt him Peter could render him more nearly powerless I think like he relies on Peter to Mm -hmm. keep his sort of like corporeal yeah his ability to like he can't move. Clearly and, he uh, can't move mm-hmm. without Peter. Soon he's going to be able to fly, which is fucked up. <laughs> Another freaky part of this chapter is the relationship between Wormtail and Voldemort. A, it's weird that Voldemort calls him by his high school nickname, basically. and I think it's meant to be dehumanizing. No, I think so. I think so, too. And a weird mockery of his loyalty to James. Yes, that's what's really fucked up about it, is he's constantly reminding Pettigrew of his betrayal by calling him the things that James and Sirius and Lupin called him. And a mocking of his subservient status in that relationship as the sort of lackey. Even if Voldemort weren't magic, he's like a psychological mastermind yeah his like psychological sadism is almost as effective as his magic over people like over his kind of like stooges like it doesn't really matter what he does magically to peter and all the death eaters it's more cult of personality type shit like it's stuff muggles could do have done they, they also have this weird intimacy i wonder perhaps the task of nursing me has become wearisome for you wormtail could this suggestion of abandoning the plan be nothing more than an attempt to desert me? My lord, I I have no wish to leave you, none at all. Do not lie to me, hissed the second voice. I can always tell, Wormtail. You are regretting that you ever returned to me. I revolt you. I see you flinch when you look at me, feel you shudder when you touch me. No, my devotion to your lordship. Your devotion is nothing more than cowardice. You would not be here if you had anywhere else to go. How am I to survive without you when I need feeding every few hours? Who is to milk Nagini? But you seem so much stronger, my lord. And he's also, like, Voldemort's this, like, perverse, like, baby. Yeah. Like, Peter has to feed him milk and, like, carry him everywhere. So there's this weird, like, totally distorted, fucked up, like, mother and child. Like, Madonna and child kind of, like, hell. Yeah. Like a Hieronymus Bosch mother and child. Because it's, like, I'm just imagining Peter, like, carrying a bundle of, like, that creepy eel and, like, feeding it, like, snake's milk from a bottle. What the fuck is snake's milk? Okay, a snakeologist will have to correct us on this, but I'm pretty damn sure snakes don't produce milk. Only mammals 
have mammary glands. So, right. No, snakes lay uh, eggs, so there's no snake milk. There's no snake. So what is Nagini? Nagini's like clearly magic thing. Yeah, she's she not produce, a snake. Or, I mean, she's not a, a regular snake. Or, or it's blood. Or he just calls it milk. And it's something and else. And it's just like snake piss or Ew. something. I don't even think they... Well, anybody out venom? there... Maybe it's the venom. Ooh, that is fucked it, up. It must be... Ve- it's not milk. Why does it call it? Why you gotta call it milk, Voldemort? You because know Because he's so creepy. Yeah. He just wants to make everything gross and or scary. Or if it is, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's just... It's nasty because you think of like poor Wormtail... Not poor Wormtail. Wormtail's made his fucking rat nest and now he has to... <laughs> now he has to lay in it. You know, and he's like, somebody has to milk Nagini! Who will milk Nagini? Yeah. Uh, and you just imagine him having to fucking milk this, like, disgusting snake. The snake who is in love with Voldemort. Yeah. Like, Voldemort, <laughs> they, uh, speaking of, like, creepy psychosexual relationships, like, Voldemort is, like, because Nagini is a woman, or not a woman. Nagini is a female snake, though. It's yeah. all, it's a she. Mm-hmm. So, like, Voldemort has this, like, freaky, codependent, like, love relationship with this fucking creature he's the worst whose milk he has to drink he's milk he has to drink snake milk right and so it's like again it's the like sort of mother and child but also like she's like his snake wife (laughs) cat wives we're out here with cat wives and snake wives and y'all gotta just like be with humans i really love jim dale's wrecked shit wrecked voldemort voice because of this sort of high what's described as high and cold but it's also kind of like whiny and yeah we'll put a clip, uh, clip yeah in I, I just think it's so and freaky you know really he's like scary. this like he's this evil baby he is the e- and that's such a scary trope i mean mm-hmm. there's a reason that's like a fucking huge thing in horror movies like the the evil being that like should be helpless but instead is like telekinetic murder baby <laughs> It's like... Uh, and always talking about murder. Oh, my God. The number of times... It's so funny. He's like, one murder more. And it's like, why do you keep saying murder? That's so creepy, on, dude. Yeah, even even Frank's got to be like, what? You're just talking... He's using the word murder. He's like, we just have to do one, one more, more murder. murder. And then we can murder mur- Harry Potter. For and- a murder scheme to be complete. Oh, come in, Frank. Wormtail and I were just discussing our favorite subject, murder. Now I shall murder you. Yeah, it just, the, the word is so funny. It's like not, he's not even like, we just have to get one more person out of the way. He's like, so first we'll murder Bertha, and then we'll murder Barty, and then we'll murder Harry. I wonder if it's meant to be like, he doesn't think of it as just sort of like, dispensing with people like he thinks of it as i don't know like well, murder is like a relationship that you now have between two like murderer and it's murdered m- yeah. yeah so and murder like the way people are killed in the wizarding world uh, has magical implications so we right. learn much later that you need to commit a murder to create horcruxes so i think voldemort is using murder like really Right, because there has to, I mean, the other thing is, like, in muggle, like, kind of law, murder has intent. Yeah. So he's not talking about this sort of, like, ancillary killing to get what you want. He's, like, specifically talking about and relishing the taking of a life deliberately and knowingly in order to people and 
I don't know, yeah, like strengthen his own fucking creepy undead amulet bullshit. And he likes it. He likes it. Because he's like, it's fun to do bad things, Wormtail. Yeah, he's, uh, he's the worst. So then, poor Harry, meanwhile, has dreamed this whole thing, so... I don't think he hasn't dreamed it. He's like seen it through Voldemort's eyes. Right. No, but I mean like right, he yeah. has. He thinks it's a dream. He has experienced it in sleep. Mm-hmm. Even though it's real. And then he wakes up in a world where no one can help him. So fuck. Yeah. Uh... The, the scene where Harry is like, well, I can't tell Dumbledore. Can't really tell Ron and Hermione. Mrs. Weasley would make a fuss. Uh, don't know any other grown-ups. Maybe I could wake up my uncle and let him know my scar hurts. LOL, LOL, No, he would smack me across the face. It's just, like, so fucking sad. Like, it's been three years, and this boy, like, functionally still has no one. Well, there's that line. Harry kneaded his forehead with his knuckles. What he really wanted, and it felt almost shameful to admit it to himself, was someone like, someone like a parent, an adult wizard whose advice he could ask without feeling stupid, someone who cared about him, who had had experience with dark magic. Oh my god, I know, he feels shame for wanting this, like, basic human need. I feel like this is such a, like, a marker of trauma, is people who have incredibly intense needs who are afraid of being a burden to anyone. He's like, oh, I don't want to tell the Weasleys because, like, they'd worry. And it's like, bro, they should worry. (laughs) It's really upsetting. You have a murder scar and it hurts because maybe a bad guy is, like, thinking about killing you. About murder. Yeah. Murder. Murder, Wormtail. Murder. Um, and I feel, okay, so then he realized, like, then he realizes he has Sirius, so he writes a letter to Sirius but even Sirius, like, he's he's great and we love him and we're glad that Harry has some kind of parental figure. But, like, Sirius can't really actually help him. Sirius is, I don't know, in, like, Bolivia, like, fucking hitting it off with macaws. <laughs> so, like, he and, he and uh, Buckbeak are just, like, chilling with exotic bird friends. Yeah, but it's more that he has a, he does have someone to write to. Yeah, but he doesn't have someone who can, like, in the moment, like, but, help him. Well, Sirius sends... His thoughts. I know, but even but so, yeah. it's just like, he's not, he's only 14. He's still, he's a child and he should have somebody who he can like physically go to, to say like, yo, I had this fucked up nightmare. Like, I'm not okay. Somebody help him. <laughs> Another example of having just like no responsible grownups out here for Harry is he writes to all his friends and family, his non-family his friends that the um the dursleys are basically like starving him and they all send cake only mrs weasley sends any fucking protein they send cake for his birthday i know but they cakes but then other than that like they send like hagrid sends rock cakes which also like the question i had was why did you even write to hagrid what the (laughs) fuck like hagrid isn't gonna send you anything edible girl i'm sorry (laughs) I guess it's nice that they all send birthday cakes, but then Harry just eats cake to live on. And it's just like, it's so world doll. Like we talked about this in multiple other books, but this is such a, like a doll scene of, it's the like 
kind of like perverse turn of like the childhood dream where like living on cake is actually shitty. Although Harry loves it. But it's not healthy. Harry's pumped to go upstairs and like pound a slice of cake. But he shouldn't be allowed to eat cake for breakfast. And it's a really good indication. Donuts are basically cake. Okay, Alex. This boy should have somebody feeding him food. There's meat pies. I know. So I'm saying Mrs. Weasley is the only person who's like, you probably need some protein. Yeah. I'm going to send you something that's an actual meal that you can survive on. Fair enough. I'm just worried about him. I don't know. Okay, maybe that's insane. Maybe it's fine to just constantly pound birthday cake. It is, you know, it's like when we talked about in the very first episode, Harry's kind of like living the dream. Yeah. But this is like the dark side of like living the dream. We're being so utterly unparented. Like it seems fucking awesome. But it's just like, as a grown-up reading it, you're like, I just, somebody, somebody send him, like, a sandwich. Yeah. Like, he, <laughs> he needs somebody to take care of his needs that aren't fellow 14-year-olds. Right. So I'm glad Mrs. Weasley is here. And I wish he would um, take advantage of Mrs. Weasley really being willing to parent him. But it's so sad that he's just like, I don't want to bother them. Bother them. Also, it's useful intel. Like, yeah. It turns out that Harry's scar hurting is like a really valuable information if you're trying to figure out where the fuck Voldemort no, is. He's, he's very bad at going for help when he needs it. He's also very bad at acknowledging that he is like this weird like radar indicator of evil. I mean, I guess why would he know that? You're That's, right. Yeah, no. I don't know. But, I mean, if he went to Dumbledore and was just like, yo, my scar hurts, Dumbledore could be like, okay, that's a thing. That's a big deal. So, Harry, reach out appropriately and somebody fucking help this boy. Yeah, Harry and Sirius should just get cell phones. Oh, I know. Or something like that. That's been invented at this point. Maybe he had to get a phone card to call Bolivia. But, uh, I know this wherever, is another. Wherever he is, uh, Guatemala, who can say? It's another occasion where, like, muggle technology would just, like, really help them. Like, if Harry could just call Sirius instead of, like, yeah, wait for, like, a Quetzal to deliver his letters. <laughs> yeah, they need more synchronous communication. They do. They do. They utterly lack synchronous communication unless you want your head in a fire. <laughs> um, also, apparently, despite Alpost being described in the Weasley's letters as the normal way, just send a message back the normal way. Muggle post seems faster because the letter, Molly's letter to Vernon gets to him faster than Ron's letter to Harry. And they're sent at approximately the same time. They arrive at approximately the same time. So Muggle post is at least as fast and birds don't shit in your room. (laughs) It's also funny that and you don't have to put up your postman for five days because they're so tired from making a delivery. Oh, I know. As Poor Errol. Errol. Errol's like so worn out from delivering like pounds of meat pie that it's he also, has to like chill. I really like learning that other birds can be mailmen too. Yes. I love the scene where um, Hedwig is like real fucking annoyed because all these like very flashy, obnoxious, like tropical birds keep bringing Sirius's <laughs> letters. And it's just, it's like, okay, so you guys should use other birds. Like, if that's possible, like, why are you out here with owls? They're very conspicuous. (laughs) Okay, a snowy owl is going to be less conspicuous than a tropical bird. 
like a fucking kestrel or something. I don't know. Like, if you can send a sparrow and not draw attention because a giant owl is like landing on people's roofs. Yeah, in but the a daytime. sparrow can't carry that much weight. I guess that's true. It's just, I didn't, okay, I just didn't know that other birds could deliver the mail. I thought it was like an owl specific thing. Why don't they just call it bird post? Bird post. Um, Maybe they do in other countries. Oh, parrot, that's a good point. Parrot post. Parrot post. Yeah, maybe different countries have different bird um, mail delivery mechanisms. <laughs> it's penguins in Antarctica. But they can't fly. I know, they waddle. Oh, I guess they waddle. They, they wow. go a long ways without that's true. flying. Sea post. Sea post. Penguin post. Um... Overall, I'm just going to like really enjoy envisioning all the different birds and all the different nations that deliver the mail. How do they do like freight? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think you can send anything bigger than a meat pie <laughs> in the Wizarding World. They just like can't send packages. Unless... Although no, like he gets he gets packages delivered. Like Neville gets care packages. Yeah, but I'm talking about like... How do you send like a couch? Cauldrons. No, you just fucking... You... Um... You magic them. You magic them. You don't have to send big well, stuff. Why don't they fucking magic letters then? I don't know. Nothing about this makes sense. But I don't like, yeah, if you ordered like a dining room table, like what fucking bird brings that? I don't it's like, know, man. It's like Ikea. It's like eating little tiny pieces and like you've got like 60 owls. Like <laughs> one of them just has like the little bag of like unidentifiable like screws. <laughs> so speaking, of, this is like related to the kind of like technology thing. It's really annoying that they use quills all the time. My, my cousin Kyle texted me to point this out. Like, get a ballpoint pen, Harry. It's way easier. And if you're trying to write quietly, which he usually is, like that like scritch, 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 scritch doesn't happen with like a bick. And have, yeah, having grown up in, for at least part of his life, in muggle primary schools, you know that ballpoint pens are more effective. You know that pens exist, friend. Yeah, and then you don't have to like, weirdly balance an ink bottle yeah uh and the get... wizard obsession with birds and bird products is <laughs> quills is really um it's is very really hipster holding, it's really holding them back it's very put a bird on it eagle quill feather yeah which would be illegal in the u.s because like those are endangered yeah, the... also do they care about endangered species like maybe not this is not a road i can go down right now <laughs> No, it doesn't matter. Wizarding conservation. Um, I do wonder about that. So here's the thing I hate that she does. This is like among my least favorite J.K. Rowling tropes is like the fucking fat shaming. Dudley looked furious and sulky and somehow seemed to be taking up even more space than usual. This was saying something as he always took up an entire side of the square table by himself. When Aunt Petunia put a quarter of unsweetened grapefruit onto Dudley's plate with a tremulous, There you are, Titty darling, Dudley glowered at her. His life had taken a most unpleasant turn since he had come home for the summer with his end-of-year report. Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia had managed to find excuses for his bad marks as usual. Aunt Petunia always insisted that Dudley was a very gifted boy whose teachers didn't understand him while Uncle Vernon maintained that he didn't want some swatty little Nancy boy for a son anyway. They also skated over the accusations of bullying in the report. He's a boisterous little boy, but he wouldn't hurt a fly, Aunt Petunia had said tearfully. 
However, at the bottom of the report, there were a few well-chosen comments from the school nurse that not even Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia could explain away. No matter how much Aunt Petunia wailed that Dudley was big-boned, and that his poundage was really puppy-fat, and that he was a growing boy who needed plenty of food, the fact remained that the school outfitters didn't stock knickerbockers big enough for him any more. The school nurse had seen what Aunt Petunia's eyes, so sharp when it came to spotting fingerprints on her gleaming walls, and in observing the comings and goings of the neighbours, simply refused to see, that far from needing extra nourishment, Dudley had reached roughly the size and weight of a young killer whale. Poor Dudley is morbidly obese, and that is an indication of his, like, unfitness as a human being and in the, these books. the first description of harry in this book is skinny oh yeah the no the very first adjective used to describe him there's no fat characters that are portrayed as like good she has she does that gross thing where hagrid's she hagrid's big hagrid's a giant right that's true like hagrid's not a fat guy hagrid's just a giant <laughs> and even he is mistrusted that's true like his size is a source of of mistrust and fear and he's kind of dumb and he's kind of dumb. He's fat he's and, wise. and illiterate. He's wise but dumb. I mean, she does the weird, like, cockney, broken syllable, um, like, dialect for him. So, and yeah, Dudley's fat and dumb. Vernon's fat and dumb. It's, um, I don't like it. It really bothers me. We feel a bit of sympathy, though, for Dudley in this chapter, though, because you see that it's... I don't think you're meant to feel sympathy for him. I think we feel it. The parents have been so bad. They really make so many excuses for him. Then when they're trying to do some parenting now, they get into these big screaming matches and Dudley in like a sugar deprivation rage, like throws his PlayStation out the window. Well, I also have to say, just like the grapefruit diet is so 90s. (laughs) Like the kind of grapefruit and cottage cheese thing is just, I feel like that's just like so quintessentially like 90s diet culture. I think this, I I think I agree with everything you're saying about the like the fat shaming, but it is a hilarious montage where they're all sitting around eating their one quarter They're like sad quarter. And... Even when the Dursleys are trying to, like, improve themselves, it's just making them worse people. Yeah. <laughs> They're so just... Oh, no, it's a hysterical scene. I mean, it's, it's... it's You always get these moments of, like, comedy gold at the Dursleys' house. It's, like, sucks because it's at the expense, expense of Harry's well-being, always. But the Dursleys are hysterical. I love the Dursleys. Not as people, but they're delightful characters to witness. But, um... That- as a fat guy, Dudley becomes like a ringleader because he's like been bullying. Yeah, people. but he kind of he becomes like strong fat. That's true. Like later on, he cha- I mean, later on he does a good thing, which is channel his well, what should be a good thing. Except, <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah. channeling his his girth into like an athletic pursuit. Like, do you, girl? Except then he gets mean. But you're right. I think we should talk a little bit about the fact that Dudley is as much a victim of Vernon and Petunia Dursley as Harry is in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, they're the opposite of neglectful with him, but their behavior toward him has also ruined him as a person. And some of it is from their hatred of Harry. Right. Is why they treat Dudley that way. So their victimization of Harry perversely victimizes Dudley in the end. Well, there is that one line where it's like Dudley's grapefruit quarter is like 
like distinctively bigger than Harry's and Harry observes that the only way Petunia can make Dudley feel better about his diet is to make sure she knows that he's still getting more food than Harry which yeah is a way in which like turning their son into like an unsatiable glutton is a way of like telling Harry that like his starvation is deliberate, but it's also really bad for Dudley. I mean, I don't know what the UK equivalent of child protective services is, but the Dursleys should have been hauled away long ago. Well, even his teachers. I mean, it seems like he has like really reasonable like instruction at his yeah, like, boarding school. The nurse is like, here is a nutrition plan. Like he is, and the, his teachers are like, he is a bully. He is borderline illiterate and they're like oh daddy kins we wouldn't want a nancy boy anyway nobody i'm sorry i sound like um fozzy bear (laughs) not fozzy i sound like miss piggy miss piggy um but you know like yeah no they they um they're horrifying parents to dudley too and giving him excuses for his like poor behavior i mean children are like, Dudley is not an inherently bad person, especially when he's really little, when when we first meet him. Like, that is learned behavior. He has learned from adults to be a glutton and a bully. And, I mean, we see later on, like, he's redeemable. Mm-hmm. He just needs to, like, get treated like a human and not a little sweet pig that you put in a bow tie. <laughs> so I feel bad for him. But I also, I'm just furious about fat equals bad person just drives me fucking nuts one of i think it's among my my main not even quibbles like just straight up like problems with the series fucking dursleys yeah it's really sad for dudley voldemort's thin i mean voldemort's (laughs) voldemort's an eel yeah i know but peter is ugly Mm -hmm. and Sirius is hot Lupin is sort of like bedraggled. Yeah, but he's not. Yeah, right. But he's not ugly. I mean, in book five, we all like you get Professor Umbridge. Yeah. And like the sort of like distasteful fat woman. These kind of broad caricatures. And the caricatures are. I mean, that's like how you write villains in books for this age group. I don't like the equation of body size with like morality yeah i think it's really um mean-spirited and limiting one thing i like is just like a little aside is when harry imagines dumbledore on vacation in his like full wizard robes with his hat and like sunscreen on his nose lying on a beach that's exactly what dumbledore is doing for vacation yeah, word. He's like, ah, oh, wouldn't that be funny? And Dumbledore's on a beach somewhere with like a cabana boy I don't at think, that very moment. I don't think Dumbledore's into younger men. I think Dumbledore has an age-appropriate like silver fox companion. He doesn't have to like... That's he, true. He could just to be appreciating. I feel like what Dumbledore is actually doing is Dumbledore's like at Fire Island. Yeah. Like Dumbledore and a bunch of like aging gay wizards like just <laughs> fucking rented a house in the pines for the summer. And they're just, like, going to tea in Fire Island. That's a kind of obscure New York reference. I apologize. That's, I don't know. That's where the gay wizards go. Maybe that'll be in the Fantastic Beasts movies. Movies. Who's your unsung hero? Well, it was going to be Frank, but we really, like, I think we really gave Frank his due. 
I think you he's know? unsung in the larger universe of yeah. books. World War II hero. Well, I don't know if he's a hero. Well, he went. They're all heroes. Yeah, it's Faith, Memorial yeah. Day. They're all yeah, heroes. Yeah, Faith, fucking member of the greatest generation, stands up to Voldemort himself, pays the ultimate price. Uh, also love those toucan delivery birds. Yeah. Even though Hedwig is real fussy and hates them. I kind of like that about Hedwig, too. Hedwig is, like, really prissy. Yeah. I like that she has a um, a personality. That's nice. <laughs> I just, that's pets. Pets are good in these books, as we've talked about in great detail. Mine is the Grangers, who are just so practical. They're both dentists. They send him sugar-free snacks. <laughs> you can see where Hermione gets her... Just like the good head on her shoulders where Hermione gets kind of her practicality and her studiousness and her eminent ability to like solve problems logically and like think through thorny questions such as how did you get gingivitis and what are we going to do about it? (laughs) Yeah, so shout out to the Grangers. Sad shit happens to them later. I know. Oh, we're in the serious books now. I know. We can still have some fun, but it's, it's going to get... It's getting real, but there's also going to be a lot of murder. It's going to be interesting, just like a looking ahead to this book, which is going to take us forever, you guys. So, like, buckle up. It's going to take us, like, months Harry to get through Potter this. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Forever. That was very good. I know. Um, is this going to be forever? Yes. Yes, indeed, Charlie. It is going to be for... No, it's not Charlie. That's Charlie. It's David After Dentist. David After Dentist. God. Early 2010s, early 2010s YouTube. Viral video. um, Child celebrities. (laughs) No, what I was going to say was, in my memory, this is like my least favorite, but I also thought that I didn't like two, and when we did number two, I fell back in love with it. This is a lot of people's favorite. I know... It's my sister's favorite, I think. She'll correct me on that, I'm sure, if it's not. I, well, I'm really curious to see how the experience of this one is because, I mean, the plot of this one doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. As we learn from Voldemort's monologue, where he's like constructing his fucking Rube Goldberg machine of, of a diabob of murder, Rube Murderberg machine. Yeah, I. his plan is not elegant in its simplicity. And Wirtz is kind of like hinting at that. He's like, He's uh, like, I think <laughs> we could probably do this more easily. Maybe, yeah, less moving parts. Well, also though, Wormtail <laughs> says this hilarious thing where he's like, Harry Potter is so well protected and everybody in the wizarding world is like, nope. nope not true. Nobody not true. helps that guy at he, all. Yeah, you could fucking literally walk into Hogwarts and... At any given time. You could disguise yourself as a gargoyle for like 45 minutes and fucking snatch him. You could stick yourself on the side of somebody's fucking head, put in a resume with Dumbledore, and Dumbledore like looks at it and he's like, all right, you're hired. Yeah, word. Um, <laughs> That's happened already. Uh, you could also, as we learned in book five, pretty easily just go to little Winjin. Yeah. And scoop him up. Or attend any Quidditch game. Yeah. Overall, Wormtail is correct that this plan is way too fucking complicated (laughs) but incorrect in his um assertion that harry potter is well guarded and well taken care of 
He just like randomly gets on the night bus in book three. Voldemort could have been on the night bus. <laughs> no. Oh, I was hanging out in Albania in he, like, I don't know, a fucking. Oh, we didn't even mention Bertha Jorkins. Stump. Poor one out for Bertha, guys. Oh, Bertha. Well, we'll be talking about her again. That's true. That's true. We she's, do get more uh, information about her. But poor Bertha. She's dead. This week's episode is brought to you by The Hanged Man, Little Hangleton's premier and probably only traditional English pub. When you're here, you're family. No, that's the Olive Garden. No. <laughs> uh, great place to discuss the local murders and other goings on. It's a little on the nose that it's called The Hanged Man. Uh, I think that's lame. <laughs> But that's okay. It's a cool name for a pub. It is a cool... I mean, is it? It's like kind of triggering name for a pub. Yeah, I guess. Well, no, it's kind of cool. It's like that whole town is just like out of a different gothic novel. <laughs> she, she like plucked it up from elsewhere. She does get it the kind of yearning for just any news in a place like that. That's true. So everyone's like horrified but sort of psyched. It is. It's like in... It's like in the James Harriet books that we're also reading together because we love to read books for babies as a couple. What are the James? We should probably explain oh, what they are. They're these delightful books by this British veterinarian, this like large animal agricultural vet in the mid 20th century that just like walks around Derby like fucking helping cows give birth. <laughs> but it's just like small town England. Um, and... It's nice AF, but there are a lot of these kinds of set pieces where like something kind of minor happens in town and everybody talks about it for two weeks. And this is not even something minor, which is why they're still talking about it 50 50 fucking years later. When when there's no more gossip, it's like, so the Riddle murders. That was crazy. Yeah, they're just like, probably Frank, right? And then they're like, (laughs) they're on again for like weeks. All right, so the hanged man. Um, Yeah, give it a good Yelp review. Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, please. We got so many nice reviews on the break. Oh, yeah, we did. You Thanks, guys. guys. Darling people. Um, So, yeah, we're on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on big, SoundCloud. Big brand change. Yeah, we're, we have to say Apple Podcasts It's now, now called, they sent everyone an email. They were like, you better call this thing Apple Podcasts Don't you now. fucking call it iTunes. We will come for you. No, we're not iTunes no. anymore. We're so, Apple Podcasts. Find us on Apple Podcasts, where we would love it if you left us five stars and a little review. Um, we're also like we're on Stitcher and Podcatcher and SoundCloud and everywhere you might want to find a podcast. I think we're there. If we're not, send us an email and we'll put us on there. We're out there. Quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. Also follow us on the socials. We are at Quibblerpodcast on Instagram and Twitter. The Instagram's lit. Yeah. You're very you're doing a good job at that. Thank you. Um Facebook.com slash quibblerpodcast. We also have a newsletter. We haven't sent it out in a while, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pick up the pace there. It's tinyletter.com slash quibbler podcast. That's tinyletter.com slash quibbler podcast for e owls yep. and owl news. We maybe now we'll do exotic bird news this week. Yes. Okay. Two cans. So we're gonna do two can news. Two can Sam delivers some fucking mail. Yes. Or just cereal. Hopefully, Harry could use some fucking cereal. He's been eating cake all the time for breakfast. I mean, cereal is tiny cakes in milk. Yeah, especially if it's Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops are not better than cake. <laughs> um, next, no, it's part of this complete breakfast. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> Such, I love that Kellogg Part of this line. complete breakfast. Um, next week, we will be reading three more chapters from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. They will be Back to the Burrow, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes, and The Portkey. So we will be visiting another bullshit way that wizards travel. Uh, <laughs> tune in for that. See you next week. Thanks, amigos. Swallow carrying a coconut? It could grip it by the husk. It's not a question of where he grips it. It's a simple question of weight ratios. A five ounce bird could not carry a one pound coconut. Well, it doesn't matter.